0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 40 of the show of the newly branded podcast, The Player's Experience. Again, we're really excited to launch this episode. This is the second episode of The Player's Experience. Same show, same great uh, concept, but newer and brighter guests as we get through to 2021. And on today's episode, we are welcoming in Shy Davidi, Blue Jays columnist, and Sportsnet writer. Before we get shy on the show, we would just like to remind you uh, that our Hush Blankets and Great North Apparel codes are still available for some great discounts on some great gear. So hit up the links in our Instagram and Twitter bios for that. And of course, we would like to give a shout out to our production team, Jay Salty Photography, for the work that they do each and every episode to put the videos together and just all the support that they give. So without further ado, let's get shy on, talk about some baseball, and talk about his uh, books that he's developed, as well as some new updates to those books. Hey, shy, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining on the show today. Oh, my pleasure, Ryan. How are you doing? Good, man. Um, how was your New Year's?
1: Oh, pretty good. Pretty quiet. You know, nice uh, nice and safe in these, in these COVID days. So uh, trying to stay responsible, waiting for a vaccine, waiting for life to return to normal. So uh, look forward to a, a little bit more of a rambunctious New Year's next year.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm You and me both, and I'm sure a lot of people, we can't wait to get back into sports stadiums, see our sports teams um, and hopefully that is sooner than later. But let's turn to some positive news and talk about you and your broadcast career. At one point in your life did you know that you wanted to become a journalist and more so a sport journalist?
1: Well, I think Throughout my youth, when it became apparent to me that uh, professional sports was not going to be uh, an avenue for me, this sort of uh, presented itself as... Uh, the next best thing and I grew up with a lot of news uh, at home my parents were avid news watchers news readers uh, back when you know time magazine was still the magazine of the times that was something uh, that my dad would always give me his when he was done and i would read up on current events so I became a bit of a junkie at that point so i ended up uh, doing the journalism program at ryerson initially intent on pursuing the broadcast side ended up uh, focusing on news writing instead And that led me to the Canadian press. And uh, eventually, as the media worlds converged, uh, that interest I had in broadcasting ended up coming in handy. And uh, I was uh, among the fortunate ones able to to make the transition and function in multiple platforms.
0: That's great. And yeah, Ryerson has a solid program. I almost ended up going to Ryerson myself um, because I ended up studying um, sports um, management at Durham College. But broadcasting was kind of one of my passions at the start of my kind of like what do I want to do as a career time kind of movement and then i I transitioned still into sport, but you know broadcasting is one of those things where you can always kind of get your foot in the door at some point or another um, and get that experience you need.
1: yeah, I think ultimately, if you've got reporting chops, then you can really float between the worlds i know and I know some people just really uncomfortable with the performance end of things. And uh, certainly if I look back to my early days in front of a camera, it's not good and it's not pretty at all. Uh, but eventually you get used to it. It's just another medium that you have to learn. And, you know, I, I teach a couple of journalism courses at Centennial College. And what I did always tell my students is that, you know, you just can't fast track experience no matter what you're doing. You know, for professional sports, obviously athletes practice uh, nonstop all the time and in our business you have to practice too so you know for me it was writing i lived at the school paper uh, at ryerson Uh, i wrote ended up writing for both of them actually the two on campus the eye opener which is the independent one um, the ryersonian which is one attached to the journalism program that's really where i feel i got a lot of my education Uh, And then later, when I started doing some broadcast work, it was just just reps. And, you know, luckily, Sportsnet stuck with me through some early bumps, gave me some training, helped me out along the way. A lot of people look out for me and give me helpful pieces of advice. Uh, And eventually, you practice if you're you pay attention to what other people are doing, you try to keep learning, keep trying to get better. uh, And, you know, eventually you get there.
0: For sure. And like, even same touching on a lot of what you just said with the training and the learn as you go like you look at this show you this is episode 40 that we're on for this show and looking back episode one back in march of 2020 when i first started this i had like poor lighting it was awful the scenery wasn't great and now i've set up this background and i have the right lighting the right sound so it's all learning curve and and eventually you get the hang of it
1: you know i i think back Uh, And I think if you don't look at some of your work from years ago and not necessarily cringe, but just say to yourself, like, this needs to be better or like, man, that really wasn't good. then you know, that means you're stagnating and you're plateauing. And I think you're always want to make sure that you're putting yourself out of your comfort zones and, Putting yourself in uncomfortable spots because that forces you to adapt, forces you to learn, forces you to grow, uh, and I think that's how you ultimately continue to progress. And I uh, know, to anyone else who's interested or thinking about it, you know, you just gotta just gotta work and work and work. That there's really no substitute for it.
0: Definitely. Now, you currently work with Sportsnet, where you started in 2011 as an MLB insider and columnist for Sportsnet.ca. How did the journey into the sports journalism world kind of start for you? Um, do you want to dive, like, talk about that a little bit more?
1: Sure, it's it's kind of funny. So, uh, you know, at school when I was at Ryerson, I ended up covering a lot of sports uh, for the uh, for both papers there, the Eye Opener and the Ryersonian, as I mentioned. Uh, and I ended up getting a, a part time job at the Canadian Press doing sports agate, which is uh, essentially. Uh, the really kind of bottom of the barrel we should just collect sports stats every night and update standings and put together game summaries a lot of stuff that's automated now but that was sort of my entry point point. Uh, and I worked part-time at uh, Canadian Press all through the all through my university career uh, when I graduated I actually finished second uh, for a job at the Hockey News uh, and so uh, my wife, who then my girlfriend, we decided to go work in Japan for a year. We both got jobs with uh, uh, journalism jobs in Tokyo. I ended up working for in news, in Japan Times newspaper. Uh, I had earlier worked, uh, done a news stint at the Jerusalem Post as a part of an internship for my school in Ryerson. Uh, but I'd always had that connection to the Canadian press. Uh, and so a uh, job ended up opening up uh, there just as... Uh, My wife and I were coming back uh, from Tokyo, and uh, I ended up getting hired there full-time, and that was uh, my path. A few years later, I was uh, covering baseball on a regular basis for CP, uh, which is the greatest training ground, one of the most important news organizations we have in the country, and it was uh, was perfect training. I got to cover uh, an Olympics there as well, uh, which is definitely a career highlight, so uh, it was a pretty good pathway, and you know, I, I think in another world I could very easily have worked in news There's the part of me that would have loved to have maybe been a Middle Eastern correspondent or something along those lines. But uh, I ended up in the toy department and uh, pretty grateful that, that things worked out the way they did.
0: Definitely. And that experience alone, being able to go to Tokyo and right there and then bring that knowledge and experience back to the Canadian side of things. That's truly a remarkable experience. It's a priceless memory as well.
1: Oh, for sure, and you know it was uh, it was largely done uh, with a bit of an eye towards adventure, just doing something different. Uh, we ended up traveling uh, around the world uh, for about four months. I think we we traveled all over Asia, the Middle East, and uh, it was really a eye-opening experience to try to try to give me a bit of a world, uh, broader worldview view uh, and understanding of kind of just how lucky we are in so many different ways uh, to have the life that we do in Canada. Uh, But, uh, you know, it's also a reminder of how uh, really transplantable for, I'm not sure that's a word, but uh, uh, how, how you can really just take this, this line of work, these skills and apply them in lots of different places around the world and uh, Tokyo was certainly an incredible experience uh, one that uh, still I still draw upon uh, to this day so uh, a lot of fun and uh, I I tell my students all the time you know if you can get out and and use this job to have good life experiences uh, you know that's what it's all about because you could certainly make more money in other industries uh, and you know, if you really want to invest in yourself, if, if money is your sole goal in this job, you know this may not be the ind- the right industry to be in. But if you're looking for quality life experiences that you won't be able to replicate many other fields, uh, certainly this uh, certainly journalism is right up there.
0: Now, the biggest aspect or clubbing sports that you cover and that you're really known for is baseball and the Toronto Blue Jays. Was baseball always your number one sport that you wanted to cover? growing in the uh journalism side of field or
1: things it was really sort of one and one a it was uh, either hockey or baseball uh and i covered a bit of hockey uh, when i was at the canadian press and uh, as i mentioned I, I did finish second for a job at the hockey news so while i was at university i'd done some work uh with the hockey news and uh i thought i was going to i, th- I thought I had a pretty good shot at that writer's job um but they ended up hiring with someone uh, with a bit more experience uh, than me. I really, I'd only covered a, like a handful of NHL games at that point and I was super green uh, and they chose someone a bit more experienced than me. Uh, but that ended up, you know, opening the door to, uh, to other pathways and uh, and ended up taking me back to the Canadian press, which uh, which was great. Uh, because that's really where I grew up as a journalist. It's really where uh, a lot of the beliefs that I have, uh, a lot of the approaches that I have to to work were, were honed. Uh, and I got to work with amazing people. And lots of them I, I still consider friends. So uh, it ended up, uh, it was an interesting sort of path. But it, it, baseball or hockey, either way, it would have been fine for me. I, I could have covered any number of sports. I, I didn't mind being a generalist either, uh, which is something that I did for a period at Canadian Press. Uh, but if I was going to sink my teeth into, into something, uh, baseball or hockey would have been the, the primary choices for me.
0: Now talking about those mentors or those people that kind of you worked with or, or you grew up working, um, alongside and, and kind of learning their knowledge from, was there someone that you had as like your number one mentor that guided you to success or the next level?
1: It'd be hard to just pick uh, one person, uh, but uh, Neil Davidson, who's a sports editor at the time who hired me, uh, he was uh, very influential in my growth and, and development. Uh, there was a, a night editor there, uh, the late uh, Jeff Fraser, uh, who really poured a lot into me and uh, was, a, was, a great, uh, was a great colleague and someone uh, I, I learned a ton from. Uh, and then I think it's also the the people around you too. You know, on, on the baseball beat, I was lucky uh, to to work alongside Bob Elliott uh, of the uh, long time of the Toronto Sun, uh, Hall of Famer, both sides of the border, uh, absolute king, a legend of the industry. Uh, you know, he's uh, he was a, an amazing uh, an amazing person to to be around and remarkably generous. Uh, and the recently retired John Lott, Uh, became a friend and to this day is someone uh, that I consider a mentor and uh, someone I still learn from and still teaches me things. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, if you're, if you're in the industry, no matter what industry you're in, uh, you need to pay attention to the people you respect and the people you admire, uh, and because they all have something to teach you. And no matter where you are on your journey, if you're just starting out, middle, towards the end, uh, you know, never stop learning, never think you have all the answers because you absolutely don't.
0: Now, you touched on John Lott, um, and I wanted to ask you about your two books that you have out right now. The first book you wrote alongside John Lott called Great Expectations, the Lost Toronto Blue Jay Season from 2013 and also more recently, the big 50 Toronto Blue Jays, the men and moments that made the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, that you wrote yourself in 2016. What kind of work and dedication went into publishing both of these books and what would you say you want the readers to take away from them?
1: Well, it's interesting. I mean, they're, they're vastly different books. The 2013 book, uh, uh was uh, really a bet on the, on the Blue Jays that, uh, We made with a publisher, ECW, uh, in Toronto, where we thought, okay, this could be a pretty special season for the Blue Jays. uh, after they had made uh, the big moves to uh, to get Mark Burley and Jose Reyes and Josh Johnson and R.A. Dickey, and um, you know, we thought, okay, let's try to put together a book progressively over the course of the season, and have it ready to go in time for the holidays. And if it ends up being what we think it's going to be, then. Uh, could turn out to be great and obviously the season didn't turn out that way Uh, we sometimes joke that you know it turned out to be a better book but that one that no one sort of wanted to read Uh, you know our marketing slogan could have been like relive the misery in greater detail Um, but i actually i i'm really proud of that book Uh, one you know john john wrote the hell out of uh out of his parts of the book uh and i just tried to keep pace uh but I, I think we we unearthed some pretty good stories we dug up some background about people uh there's a lot of stuff in there that's sort of timeless uh and it's not just a, a recounting of how the season went it's more about you know the backstories of the people who shaped that season and uh you know I, I think the way that we structured it was uh was pretty good and i mean we had it finished you know just days after the season ended uh, I can't remember the exact word count, but it was a substantial word count, maybe in, you know, 70,000 words. Uh, so to have turned it around in that amount of time uh, was pretty good. So uh, you know, that was a lot of fun, um, but it was a lot of work. The other, the other one, Blue Jays Big 50, uh, is actually I uh, just completed an update for it, which is coming out in spring 21 at some point. Um, but that one was uh, a bit of a different project, as it was. Uh, look, look, hey, let's put together 50, 50 people, moments, achievements, games, things of significance uh, in Blue Jays' history. And so it was a chance to, you know, look at the franchise's history a bit more holistically uh, and try to pick out good stories uh, within that time. Uh, so, uh, you know, that was a, it was a fun project. That one was, uh, was done during the 2015 season. I think actually, if memory serves, I think I signed the contract in July uh, of that of that summer, and then had the story, had the book. Of, I think it was roughly eighty five thousand words, filed by the end of November or beginning of December, somewhere along those lines. So uh, that was a little bit breakneck, but a ton of fun too. And I think anytime you can go back and just have in depth interviews with people, in depth conversations about stuff that isn't the day to day. That's super fun, super intriguing, and uh, you know that that for me was a big part of the enjoyment.
0: Now, let me, uh, I got to take the guess, because if you're get, doing that book an update, I'm guessing that the number one moment is probably going to be either the bat flip or some moment from the 2016 season when they made the playoffs uh, for their second year in the row. Um, am I right when I say that, or can you not quite say trust yet?
1: No, I'm happy to say. So uh, the, initially, uh, the bat flip was in uh, the first book. Uh, and it obviously it's going to be back in the second one, but the way that uh, I sort of structured it is that uh, I have I don't know it was initially sort of a chronological order, but now it's sort of mixed I'm not sure if or I guess uh, sorry uh, most important to least important. I'm not sure that it's quite that I just tried to group uh, this time around I tried to group Periods of times together. So, uh, the first uh, few chapters of the book are all on the different playoff seasons. It starts at number one with the first World Series title in '92. Uh, chapter two is in the '93 World, the '93 season. Uh, chapter three, I believe, is the '85 season. Uh, chapter four is the uh, is the 2015 season, and it proceeds from there. So, uh, there is a, a chapter. Uh, there was a chapter that was uh, initially devoted to uh, what I termed the the Holy Trinity of Blue Jays home runs, which was the the home runs by Carter, Sprague, and Roberto Alomar. Uh, then the bat flip happened, and I added that. And so for the the updated version, I added uh, the. Edwin Encarnacion walk off Homer into that chapter as well. So, uh, you know, the, there are a few updates. That's one of them. There's a, a new chapter on Jose Batista, a chapter on the 2016 season, a chapter on the 2020 season, a chapter on Mark Shapiro, an updated chapter on Josh Donaldson. Uh, so, uh, a lot of new stuff. I ended up writing 30,000 words uh, for that. So, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty fun. That's incredible, and yeah,
0: writing a book is definitely a hard uh, challenge for anyone. Um, and kudos to you. And we're—I know—I'm already excited to get it uh, in spring of 2021 um, because I read part of the the last one, and so I'm excited to see the new stories that are that unfold in that book as well.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, it's—it uh, uh, it was done uh, again at sort of a breakneck pace i'd like to actually at some point do a book let's say like a year and a half of lead time as opposed to a few weeks or a few months but uh, uh i thought the, there was some, some pretty good stuff and there's some pretty fun stuff that's great
0: now while covering the blue jays over the last number of years you've been able to obviously travel to a number of different ball clubs and cities while you've been covering the team out of all the different ball clubs that you've been able to report from which has been your top three let's say uh, to be able to report from,
1: uh, well, it's sort of my one in one, a would be San Francisco and Pittsburgh. Uh, I just love those two parks. Uh, they're just set up brilliantly. Uh, San Francisco has perhaps the best press box, uh, their Camden yards are both pretty good, very close to the action. Uh, you gotta pay attention if you want to ensure that your laptop survives, uh, survives the game, uh, because of the foul balls come in so fast there. Uh, but those two are really sort of a cut above if i had to pick a third there'd be sort of a group that would be difficult to to choose from uh, i really love uh the park in in colorado in denver uh, it's just a beautiful beautiful setup with the mountains and the sky colors there Uh really well done place uh, i like the new park in atlanta i've been there a couple times uh, which I think is pretty good. I'm excited to see the new park in Texas. I haven't been there. Uh, big fan of Chavez uh, Ravine, uh, uh, Dodger Stadium. Only been there the, the one time, and it certainly lived up to it. So uh, I, I would say, and I know it's not exactly three, but uh, those are certainly the ones. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh and San Fran definitely stand out, and then there's sort of a, a pretty solid tier of parks right beneath it.
0: That's awesome. And yeah, I've been fortunate to be able to obviously see Toronto. I've seen Pittsburgh, Detroit, um, and Washington as well. Sure. And my, my goal obviously is to do one of those like not quite 30 and 30, but do something to that degree where it's like May, June, go and see five or six ballparks and then maybe August, September, go see another set of ballparks as well.
1: Yeah. I think that's what's unique, bit unique about baseball is that, you know, each each park is its own experience and each park uh, has, has its own unique quirks and sight lines and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, I, I chased uh, I a I Dodger Stadium for a long time. I was at 29 of 30 for a long period of time. And uh, for some reason, just never aligned for me until the Jays finally made a trip back there in, in 2019. So uh, now I've got to get to that new Texas park to get back to 30 of 30. Uh, but uh, it's certainly one of the joys of just getting to experience the different parks and different setups and different sight lines. And uh, it's interesting how the game is just a little bit different in each place.
0: Exactly, and one one field I'm really excited to go and see Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Cubs as a, as one of my like third team options. Uh, my first two obviously being Toronto and also the Angels. Um, just big fan of Mike Trout. Um, he's always been uh, one of the more humbling players I found. Whenever I've been able to see him play in Toronto, he always takes times for like the fans and and says hi and all that stuff. So um, yeah, those have been my three, and so i uh, got to mark those two off the list still, but we'll get there. Now, following up on my ball club question, uh, this now relates to players. From the players that you've been able to watch, who has been one of your favorite ball players to be able to see in action?
1: Well, it's interesting. So, I mean, you mentioned Mike Trout. Anytime you get to watch him, uh, absolute treat, absolute pl- pleasure. Uh, Mookie Betts was uh, super compelling. Uh, but, you know, I've covered, uh, I've covered the team for nearly two or about two decades. So I've gotten to see uh, a lot of, a lot of great players, a lot of hall of famers uh, for me. I still think Roy Halliday is, uh, is a pinnacle in, in a number of different ways. And we've certainly learned a lot more about some of the challenges that he faced within himself during his career. Uh, but you know, the, the ability to perform at that level, to be so demanding of himself uh, to be uh, to be so committed to what he was doing, to be so determined in what he was doing, uh, it really stands out. You know, Carlos Delgado is uh, in that realm too. Uh, somebody who not just was a tremendous performer on the field, but someone uh, with uh, you know a lot of really good thoughts about what's going on in the world, and you know, a, a, an important social conscience. Uh, someone who you could really learn a lot from in a number of different ways. Uh, about as impressive a person as, as you can meet. Uh, Jose Batista is certainly along those lines too. Um, Just, you know, I think someone who obviously is appreciated for the bat flip, but he was uh, someone who I think was dealt with in in a bit of a too superficial way by the media a lot of the times, uh, just because people, I don't think, took the time to really understand him or didn't want to uh, really look at how he had a, a more holistic view of things or a deeper view of things, uh, and so I really enjoyed uh, covering him and getting to know him. Uh, and you know Mark Burley is someone that I only covered for two seasons, uh, but I really I really appreciated in a number of different ways. Uh, just you know uh, just really uh, someone with a lot of eQ, uh, someone who was able to take every bit of his ability. And maximize it as someone who performed with uh, a remarkable courage and conviction uh, and and just simplified a game that can be super, super complicated. so uh, those are just a few i'm I'm one hundred percent forgetting a lot of people that I've really enjoyed both watching and, and conversing with uh, but you know that those 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 uh, players that I mentioned would certainly be at the top of the list
0: so for me, I gotta share my th- my top three. It's definitely Halliday. Halliday's number one and grew up watching Halliday. Um, and actually my baseball number, like I play baseball and have been with the Special Olympics for the past 14 years. And my number for baseball is 22 because when Halliday ha- joined the Jays and he had his early years with the number 52 and then changed to 32, you take the two, the two twos from each number and put them together. That's one of the reasons I wear the number 22. So yeah, he's cool. definitely on the top, top of the list. Um, besides watching, obviously, Jose Bautista for the number of reasons that you actually just mentioned as well, um, he was also one of my top – Players to watch because again, he started watching him when he came to Toronto and, and was a fan ever since. But one memory I have of in Toronto was with Russell Martin. And with Russell Martin, uh, I was a season seat holder for 2015, 2016. And I got access to the field during like one of the giveaways or it was came with the package or something like that. I can't fully remember. But anyway, when I'm down on the field, I'm staying beside this uh, older gentleman. And he looked really familiar because Sportsnet did a, sec- a segment on him and it was Russell's dad. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, and I ask him, I'm like, you're, you're Russell's dad, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah. How are you? And we start talking. And it was really cool. Just being able to watch like the, the up or the batting practice and, and watch Russell also hit off the hit there too, but then also be able to chat with his dad about baseball and like what it was like growing up and all that with Russell. And uh, it was really a unique experience. Um, and then after warm ups were done, uh, Russell came over and we got a photo and all that. And so I have this photo of like me, Russell, and his dad, which is very unique. Um, but again, just because of like that memory, Russell's in the top three for me as well.
1: Yeah, that's look, uh, that's uh, completely understandable. Like, he was a great player, uh, someone who, like I, I thoroughly enjoyed nerding out about catching stuff with him and, uh, you know, somebody that. You know again, like if you're gonna gonna be baseball nerdy and I, I, I used to love watching John McDonald take infield, right? And so uh, I, I could just watch him just just the practice fielding grounders and the way that he would take different routes to balls and the way he'd transfer the ball from the glove to hand and try to find ways to speed up that process. all that stuff that uh, you know I, I love that. Uh, for me, so uh, you know, Russell Martin was up there for, from uh, doing that from a catching perspective, uh, and and he was terrific. You know, I think that that contract towards the end uh, was viewed a bit unfairly because uh, uh, you know he certainly did his part to backload that contract so the Blue Jays could take a good run at it in 15 and 16, which is the way that it worked out. Um, but uh, I think he had a great run and, and certainly amongst the greatest players uh, ever in Major League Baseball.
0: Definitely. Now, I want to ask you obviously, we don't know kind of what we have an idea of what the Jays are doing for this upcoming season. And we are obviously very anticipated in seeing um, how the Jays will do. Obviously, um, from what it looks like, not being able to play in Canada for this year, um, but that's still up in the air, obviously. What's the feeling around the Jays' upcoming season? And what are your thoughts on what the team has been doing so far and where they'll go this year?
1: Well it's really I think for to to address the first part first I mean obviously uh the course of the pandemic and the the process of you know getting significant portions of the populations on both sides of the border vaccinated will go a long way in determining exactly how things play out for the Blue Jays but you know I think that you know for all of us and this is certainly from a vantage point that's more important than sports but it appears that we might be starting to turn the corner on the pandemic now and that the vaccine uh, combined with our knowledge and and hopefully uh, respectful adherence to the the norms that we need to, to keep the virus contained uh, will take place and and, allow us to get back to normalcy Uh, in terms of what the the blue cheese are going to do. Look, you know, I think they've tried to be as active as they can be. They're trying to, Uh, put in some impact uh, into that core group Uh, there is going to be progression from their key young players Uh, you know obviously I think a lot of eyes will be on Teoscar Hernandez to see if what he did uh, over 60 games in 2020 can be sustained over a a fuller more proper season Uh, and if that does and you know Bo Bichette continues to develop Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with his new commitment to fitness, if he is able to take a significant step forward and and start reaching his very vast potential. Uh, Kevin Biggio continues to be the type of player that that he is. Uh, Danny Jansen perhaps takes a a step forward at catcher. Uh, Some of their young pitchers, obviously Nate Pearson is is super intriguing and has a chance to be uh, a dynamic force. Uh, It's just a really interesting clock. And, you know, not all of that is going to work out. It never does. Uh, but there is, a, there is a base of talent that is creates a very significant opportunity. Uh, the Blue Jays have some financial resources to augment, which obviously gives them uh, an opportunity to push things forward. Uh, and you know, I think back to the group they assembled in the late 90s, where, you know, they had Carl Delgado and Sean Green and Shannon Stewart and Alex Gonzalez uh, and Kelvin Escobar and Roy Halliday and Chris Carpenter, but they could just never get that group over the hump, uh, partly because of the division they were in, but partly because they just, they just didn't augment it properly. Uh, and that's a fate that this team needs to try and avoid. Definitely. And it's going to be,
0: I know like yourself and, and included, we're all very anticipated and, or excited to see what the anticipation is of the season. And hopefully, we can maybe repeat 2015, 2016, knock on wood, and see some playoff action um, once again.
1: Yeah, I mean, that would be great for uh, certainly for the city, certainly for uh, a fan base that. Got a little te- a little teasing taste of it uh, this past year with the two games against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, but, you know, th- those were certainly fun days. They were uh, great for baseball in, in this country. Uh, it-, it really helped spike participation across the country to the point where a lot of baseball associations were having trouble meeting the demand. And to me, that's really exciting that the-, 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 the potential for a trickle-down effect into the grassroots, uh, certainly everybody's going to be excited about the possibility of just getting back to normal activities for kids Uh, you know as a father of two i I certainly want my boys to be able to take the field again and be able to enjoy some time at the ball yard with their friends because there's so much value in that and you know it's part of a part of our summers so you know if all those things could come together you get a blue jays team that gets kids all over the country excited about playing baseball everybody's rushing back out to a field Uh, again because we can do it safely Uh, And I think that could be a really impactful moment for lots of people across the country.
0: Now, if you could share some insights or, um, or knowledge on a segment that I like to close out every show with called Words of Wisdom, what advice would you like to give to the next generation of sports writers that want to break into the industry?
1: Oof! Uh, I could uh, I could uh, do a whole show on this one. Uh, I, I think a few a few things. I think one just just be steeped in good journal in good journalistic principles and ethics. Uh, you know, I think that's something that the demands of our industry continue to make tougher and tougher, and continue to to pull and and, and tug at us in a number of different ways. Uh, I think because the there is the ability to self publish and to sort of create followings of your own without you know without people doing some schooling or doing some background work or some real education on it uh it could create some some flaws in terms of uh potential flaws at least in terms of you know what are the what are the principles you adhere to what are the ethics you believe in uh, you know what how do you define fairness um all those all those kind of tricky things that i think a lot of people uh who entered the industry when i did or certainly beforehand uh wrestled with all the time and continue to wrestle with to this day so i think that's really important uh i also think that you know you have to think about uh the way to to look at it in a lot of ways is that you have to think of yourself as a bit of a brand and so what is your brand what do you want to be about what do you want to be known for and uh you know a lot of people sort of chase scoops and you know, look, for, uh, look for things that are salacious or exciting or things that are gonna get clicks, uh, but is that ultimately sustainable? Um, and are you doing that in a way that's fair to your subject and respectful of, uh, of the norms and the business and the way things go about things? Uh, you know, I think there's just a, a, lot of, a lot of wider considerations to, to take into account that, that can get lost uh, with uh, some of the new pathways into the industry uh and so i just you know would want uh i would say make sure you you know who you are make sure that you feel good about what you do make sure you can look at yourself in the mirror and try to try to understand why are certain things done uh the way they are and, and you know why and find ways to make sure that you're including some of that into your work
0: the great words of wisdom from shy to thank you sir for taking the time to be on the show share your experiences we're I know, like I said before, I'm really excited to see the updated version of the book that comes out in spring 2020. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we will be able to see you at the ballpark sooner than later.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, Ryan. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you.
0: All right, everyone. That was Shai DeViti, Blue Jays columnist and Sportsnet writer. Thank you once again to Shy for joining us and thank you to every one of you for joining into another episode of the newly branded show, the players' experience. We look forward to having you tune in to more episodes each and every week throughout the new year. Uh, And until next time, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.